0: So, welcome to today's show. So, today's guest is Noah Healy, who is a computational mathematician and an algorithm developer who's currently got a patent pending. So, welcome to the show, Noah. Uh,
1: Thanks for having me here. Uh, It promises to be a a great, great show. Well, first things first is game theory is a very interesting subject, isn't it?
0: It's got so much depth from the prisoner's dilemma to when you are. Uh, you know, starting uh, 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 to bring out a film, you know, when's the best time to do that? It's all down to, to mathematics. So if you can just explain to people who aren't maybe familiar with that side of things um, as to exactly what that, what that is and, and, and what's entailed within that.
1: Uh, sure. So game theory is the mathematics of strategy. In fact, uh, it's, uh, I've said this before, it's probably one of the most flippantly named things in human history and uh, and it's, it's a little odd that it's also a recent mathematical development. Uh, you would think that with the importance of strategic decision-making among people that, that we'd have been looking at this for millennia, but the earliest work in game theory really dates to the 1900s. Um, and sort of the principal work in the subject uh, was done by genius polymath, John von Neumann, who was at Los Alamos, uh actually developed computer architecture uh, that we are still more or less building on today, uh, was interested in weather prediction um, and all sorts of other things and died fairly young of cancer. So it was sort of a, a, a bright star in, uh, in human history. Uh, But what game theory gets at uh, and attempts to capture is what is the outcome when two or more agents, that is uh, things capable of making decisions, each of which has their own agenda, uh, make decisions. Um, So you can have situations where agendas uh, are completely oppositional, uh, are completely concordant, or have every conceivable mixture of, of those two kinds of qualities. And as more agendas come to the party, um, the situation gets vastly more complicated. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of also amazing that in addition to It coming along relatively recently, once you start thinking about what's going on, it's amazing that we actually learned anything about it at all. But it turns out that uh, there are some very basic uh, and actually useful results that come out of even simple explorations of this topic.
0: It's very interesting, isn't it because as you said there there's so much application from a strategic standpoint. you know many people feel that oh I went to school or did math, it's never helped me in, in real life. but obviously with game theory, it is a type of math or mathematics that does give you specific um, actionable points, let's say uh, to, to, to to help you to number one, uh, uh, assess decisions and number two to obviously make the right decisions.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think perhaps even more valuable than that, um, because of sort of the abstraction nature of mathematics, um, where it doesn't matter whether you're talking about like Sam and Susie trading apples or, or you know, Dave and Bob uh, figuring out an international contract, numbers are numbers. The same sort of thing applies in strategic situations. And that means that principles of these things can, can come out. So it's not simply how should I make this next decision that I need to make, but what sort of general principle and what should guide the kinds of decisions I make, um, even for situations which might be be too big or might even just seem to be too big for you to think through this this analysis
0: so obviously from what you said so far you've got a deep understanding of of, of game theory what are the, the the variations within game theory so is there zero-sum some games is there single player games multiplayer games how does that differ um with regards to the application of game theory
1: There are, yeah. So there are two big axes of, of category. Um, and in general, there really aren't single player games because things don't become interesting until there's other agendas involved. Um, people do model some single player games by sort of taking the universe on as another player that's, that's making decisions. Um, uh, kind of, and then, then you can sort of work out what sort of agenda you want for the universe, sort of, uh, a, you know, a malevolent world versus a beneficial world and stuff like that. But getting aside from all of those kinds of things, um, the, the, the there's sort of these breakpoints. So there's zero sum and non zero sum games. So a zero sum game is one where, uh, the loss of one player is the gain of others. Uh, so a game like poker at home is zero sum. Money isn't created by doing this, uh, but what people bring in gets redistributed among the people. Maybe yeah. vanishingly tiny chance in exactly the same way, but but that's that's all that's going on. Uh, non zero sum and this, this will also be a characteristic of, of the other divide, is obviously a much broader category um, because the game could have a positive sum uh, where say people could be engaged in business and trade where you're exchanging something that you value less for what others value more. And then the more the more it's valuable and the more that can be provided, the greater the value of the game, or negative sum, uh, playing poker in the casino where the casino is taking off the rake, um, it's still the players are bringing to the table, but they're not just redistributing the money they're bringing, they're, they're losing actually money. Uh, and you can have other sorts of situations um, where everyone actually gets worse off. War frequently is a negative sum game. Um, so, so the the division between zero and non-zero sum is is sort of a thing that that's common to the history of mathematics. Um, we have sort of the one category of things that are easier to uh, to describe and and analyze, and then the category of everything that isn't easier. And that's almost always the far and away greater category. Uh, and so with that in mind, the other big division of games is two player games, uh, where it's, you know, one person, perhaps you and somebody else and multiplayer games where it's more than one other, somebody else. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which obviously again is a, a vastly broader category. Um, but there again, certain principles uh, are maintained, and there's a concept called evolutionary games, uh, where if you have a game structure that has roles um, that correspond to a sort of uh, abstract overgame. Uh, so like trading in a stock market, in one sense, millions uh, of people are engaged in having accounts and brokerages and so on. But in another sense, buyers and sellers are coming together. And so that system can be could be thought about in terms of the individuals at hand. Um, but that, that thinking would be very fuzzy. And analysis couldn't really be done. But you can also model it as this evolutionary game of buyers and sellers coming together. And that's where ideas like supply and demand would fall out, where the system, by evolving, will come to these, these convergence points where the buyers and sellers are coming together in roughly equal measure uh, around a common desirable point.
0: Yeah. So yeah, as you said, with 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 trading, it's a case of to be able to sell something at a certain price, someone else needs to want to buy buy that at, at that price, or or vice versa.
1: So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if I could get very very rich selling shares of Apple for trillion a trillion dollars apiece if if I didn't need counterparties, yeah, but but I. But but you know, there are no buyers at, at that price.
0: I know because we we spoke previously off air, didn't we, about um buyers and sellers and, and options. So for, I don't know for, for the audience who maybe don't know what options are, if you can maybe explain you know, what options are and how, if at all, game theory can be used in that particular example.
1: Uh certainly. So the options market uh is is a part of a large class of financial things called derivatives. Uh, and they're, they're basically agreements about agreements, which gets a little complicated to think about. But uh, a relatively simple thing is to just take on that name, options. Options give allow you to buy the option to do something. So you don't have to buy, but if you want the opportunity to buy. So what we were talking about before I actually can buy an option to sell a share of Apple for a trillion. Well, I can't, I'm not nearly rich enough, uh, but that's a thing you can do. You can, you can buy an option to sell something and and it will guarantee a counterparty. The problem is that you'll have to pay so much for something that's out of band that you'll wind up losing money. So for example, uh, somebody like Goldman Sachs would be more than happy to charge you more than a trillion dollars to agree to, to buy a share of Apple for, from you for a trillion dollars uh, because they're just going to take your money. Um, it's a premium, isn't it? Exactly.
0: It's, it's like what happened on the uh, the Big Short, if anyone's watched the film The Big Short, uh, where the gentleman went to all the different banks and uh, had the option to short, and he was obviously paying the premium per month that almost made him go go bust. So it's um, it's something that you have to to manage in, in respect of cash flow. If you do feel that the option that you purchased, either in the buying or selling space, is going to bring you some sort of benefit in the future.
1: Uh, yes, yes. So in that sense, you're thinking, oh, these things are pure risk. Why would I ever even engage in this? Well the reason why is because trading physical stuff is very inconvenient. Um, If, if I own a coal mine or a wheat farm or, or some other bulk good production facility, uh, then I like every business need to know what kind of prices and where my customers are and so on. Uh, And it would be ruinous to sort of do all of the work, get the product together, go down to, you know, New York or London or, or the big city with 4,000 tons of of rice and just say, okay, uh, who wants some? (laughs) Like, you know, you're never going to sell any. So uh, what you need to do, in fact, is effectively work out the price ahead of time. And since you don't have the goods on option or, or in action, you need options to, to cover that because there's a certain uncertainty. Sure, you're probably going to produce the amount you think you're going to produce, but if there's an earthquake or a hurricane or, or something, you know, maybe it doesn't quite happen. So the sort of tentative proto-deals need to approach one another uh, in to work out what the actual final deals are going to be. And so in commodities, people sort of principally make future trades where they're setting up the deal that's going to happen and then back into that um, a deal that they've already set up uh, when, when they've finally actually done the production
0: yeah it's like when obviously you know farmers and and and, uh, and people who are buying that stock make deals to say okay the buyer will say well actually i don't want to fall under the issue of supply and demand so i would instead of paying a hundred dollars per kilo i would rather settle for uh, uh, another price that but what i would be guaranteed at that price whereas for the farmer he's got the inverse saying well you said if there's an earthquake a hurricane uh, a monsoon of some sort that would wouldn't guarantee that he would you know be able to produce unsellerly products then it makes sense for both parties doesn't it to actually have a physical futures agreement uh
1: yeah although uh i will take issue this is a common misapprehension um the marketplace isn't an insurance market so if the farmer actually has a disaster they aren't going to get paid without delivery um, what the, what the marketplace is helping the farmer do is work against uh, the price risk in the marketplace. Yeah. So yeah. the problem is that you're not the only, you know, wheat farmer in the country. And so what if more or less all the deals are made and it turns out that you didn't get a seat at the table and so nobody really wants your wheat cuz all the planning's been done already and so somebody's willing to take it for, you know, cents on the dollar. Well, now you're ruined. So so the the farmers have to get their seats at the table and so it's this bizarre situation where both sides are sort of willing to take a worse deal in order to get a deal but those worst deals are oppositional. So, um, well, maybe everybody'd be willing to trade at, at you know, uh, $100 a ton or something. Um, the one side might be willing to pay 105 so that they can be sure that they're gonna be part of this. And the other side might be able to, willing to take 95 because they also want to be sure they're taking a part of this. And so that creates this middle where it can actually be quite large and, and 10% is not wholly ridiculous uh, for, for some of these marketplaces of, of a spread that the middlemen who are willing to go in, take the risk and, and stand between these deals um, and also have the, the patients and, and, technology and money to pick off the desperate and and you know make sure that they get the worst deal that they're willing to take uh to get that spread out and 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 make their money as well
0: yeah so like like we've talked or like you've said so far there are different applications to game theory and you can look at maybe a lot of different situations and apply game theory in each aspect, whether it's zero, say uh, zero, sum game, positive, sum game or negative, sum game. And when you are single player, multiplayer or, or or beyond. So obviously you've got a patent pending for, for your work. What does that patent cover and, and what is it that you're trying to achieve
1: uh, with obviously your invention for want of a better phrase? So. The thing we've just been talking about where there's there's actually three roles within the marketplace. There's these buyers that are willing to take not the best deal. They would like the best deal they can get, but they're willing to take not the best deal in order to get uh, the business. These, these sellers who are in the same boat, um, but have an opposite version of what best deal means. And these informed sort of, forecaster, negotiator, middlemen types that have capital resources, knowledge, technology in order to kind of stitch these deals together. um, I've found a way to create a three-sided marketplace that has dedicated forums for each of these roles to aggregate together. And so going back to what I was talking about evolutionary game theory, Uh, this system provides a mechanism to effectively turn the market from a millions of players doing all sorts of crazy stuff, unanalyzable mess type of game to a three-player evolutionary game where people can choose to play one or two or three of these roles and their capacity to make to contribute towards their side performing well uh, is their payoff um, so your your gains and losses are individual but they're individual in the context of a well-running system um, and so you get the you get the security of many people sort of aggregated together and that, that kind of, you know, diversification at the same time that individuals have individual incentives where your gains are based on your effort and correctness and your losses are based on your lack of effort or incorrectness. So are these three
0: player games, ones that have, let's say, fixed options? So let's say player A has options A, B, and C, Player two has options, D, E, and F, um, and, and, et and etc. Or is it more of a complex game whereby each individual player has unlimited options and players B's decision to to act is based on what maybe player A and player C or, or player one and player three are doing in each case. Does that make sense?
1: Uh yeah. And and it's sort of it's sort of uh uh, halfway so what's going on is each role has a uh, sort of fixed strategy um but infinite options okay so so just
0: uh, just on that so they they have a specific outcome that they are after and within that they have unlimited options in order to get there is that what you're referring to
1: not really so um uh the so it's let, let's think about, say, uh, a, a more traditional style of, of game. So, say, soccer versus car racing or football okay. uh, for most of your audience. Uh, a football match has a constrained strategic goal. You want to score goals, you want to prevent your opponent from scoring goals, but the number of things that you can do during a football match is highly unconstrained. Yeah, um, There's there's 11 guys that all can do whatever they want, and there's another 11 guys who are all doing whatever they want. A car race, again, has a sort of highly constrained outcome. You, you want to cross the finish line first. Um, but because of the way car races work, there's a lot fewer choices that are available. Um, there's there's passing if that's a, if that's currently possible. But if you're out there on your own right now, um, you you need to follow the course, and and you need yeah. to follow the course the best way you can. And the better you are at following the course, the more likely you are to be the person that wins. So there's a lot more strategic constraint. In F1 than in football. Uh, and, you know, both of them are globally popular super sports. So it's it's not that, you know, one is better than the other, uh, unless, of course, you're a fan, in which case, obviously, your opinion's <laughs> correct. But, uh, <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not much into either of them. But that's sort of the way to think about these things. Um, A buyer, for example, uh, in my system, gets to see what the current available price is, what the future projections of prices look like, um, uh, and all they get to de- decide is how much they want to buy. Um, that might be nothing. That might be ten. That might be thousands. That might be however many units they feel like. So they haven't. Indefinite amount of choice; they can they they can sort of choose any number up to whatever they need, uh, but they can't do anything else. They have that sort of one option. Um, these these forecasters can put information in about where future prices are going. There's no constraint on where they can they can move these future prices, uh, but that's all they can do. All they can do is speculate on what the future clearing prices are going to look like. Uh, and, And a seller like a buyer sees what conditions are and decides how much they want to participate in conditions that are like that. And so each player has an infinite set of choices to make. But they're in a they're in a more constrained situation where the degree to which they follow the course of the entire market functioning, they're going to win.
0: So so it's it's yeah, like you say, it's it's
1: within the constraints of the existing game. Right, right. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, it would be. It would be trivially easy. I don't know if you guys have Candyland or if it's named something different, uh, but that you know, children's game where you draw cards and just move the colors. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, like a bully could win Candyland by just like you know pushing over all the other children and and putting their token at the end. Um, but that's outside of the constraints of the game. And the, if you're following the rules of the game, it's it's basically going to be random uh, in that case. In, in this case, as long as you're playing the game, uh, what you're going to get out of it is a, a functioning marketplace and the, and the kinds of economic returns that are associated with producing commodities or using commodities.
0: So, what happens in, in any
1: instance where
0: you add plays to an existing game? So, in, in in regards to the the race for example because i think it's easier to maybe try and conceptualize if you were to add so say so you had two two racing drivers and you were to add a third or add a fourth how would that change the element of the game um in and and decision making for the drivers or in in, ter- in terms of your uh sort of area of expertise how that would would fit in in that in, in that
1: regard So there's two kind of different ways that that can happen. Um, In the first case, sort of along with what you're talking about, if you're adding players but not adding roles, so the new players' agendas are very similar to the existing players' agendas, um, then adding new players uh, effectively will make the entire game function better, for want of a better term. The, as, as more players, more perspectives come in, um, you, in order to sort of gain victory condition or, or whatever, you need to be executing the appropriate strategies more effectively. And so the game will, in an evolutionary sense, hone in on better outcomes. And we can see this in the natural world Island species versus continent species. Um, if something happens that joins an island to a continent, the island species frequently go extinct very, very rapidly because the continent with the much larger game is evolving much tougher, you know, creatures. Basically, you know, the predators are more predatory. The the you know prey is is much better defended. And then you get sort of the dodo, this sort of flightless thing that doesn't have any defensive instincts because nothing needs it. And then suddenly something starts eating it and it's over. Um, But the other possibility as you add players is that you could be adding these new agendas or new roles, and that can completely alter everything. Um, Having, having a new perspective or a new, kind of decision making in a system can totally change things so if if you think about just sort of you know board games uh if if you're playing a game like clue which has multiple players and everybody's trying to win it's one kind of a game if one of the players is you know intentionally just trying to make everybody laugh it's a completely different kind of a game as a result of that totally new agenda showing up um and so that that kind of that kind of shift um can completely alter your understanding of how a game functions if new agendas are being added to the system
0: so new agendas being
1: a, a new player with as you
0: said a different agenda or a different uh objective from from the game
1: uh, yeah yeah and in fact that's that's the core of what my patent is on because computers are capable of complex action and reaction to to you know stimuli and so on in complex ways it's possible to create computer opponents um, that will have clear agendas and so you can actually, add new agendas to a game in a way that will make that game function more smoothly and and in my system there is a sort of hidden fourth player the operator that can take on the information from these buyers sellers and and forecasters that are operating in these sort of restricted systems and Fill in the gaps, do the communication, measure how much value is, is actually being added or offered, um, do the settlements in a in a fair and transparent way. You know, the computer will never have any friends that they met down at the pub that they want to slip an extra 20 to. Um, and so that that situation. Um, becomes a new and better kind of of game because we can actually write sort of fair traffic cops for ourselves to to manage uh, these interactions.
0: So so what you're saying is that when you add an operator, it also changes the game. So if you can just talk to me a little bit more about that, because that sounds quite interesting.
1: Uh, Certainly. So one of the key things about game theory analysis is that uh, hidden information is very important. Um, and a very sort of obvious example of this is that poker would be a vastly different game. if all of the cards were face up, um, yeah. basically it wouldn't be a game at all anymore, right? It would be like war. You just deal out the cards and, the winner would win it would just be a game of um, it would be a game of luck wouldn't it on what hand so you- hidden information hidden agendas uh, exactly yes uh so hidden information and in particular hidden agendas uh create this sort of very different kind of mindset necessary because while you have some sort of idea of what you want Uh, when you're dealing with people and you don't know what they want. um, You have to be much more protective. You're not interested in sort of going for the brass ring. If, if the other person's trying to rip your lungs out. So you need to, you need to make sure that you've gotten yourself into a space where the worst thing that can happen to you is something that's still acceptable to you. And, and strategies built on avoiding the worst thing that can happen to you aren't the same as strategies that are built on building the best thing you can build. Um, and so these, these, these agendas, in particular transparent agendas, uh, an incredibly powerful tool for creating better interaction systems. Um, uh, This exists at the social level where societies that enjoy high levels of trust uh, can can operate more effectively and more complexly than societies that have very low levels of trust, uh, but is also something that's technologically exploitable. Um, Because while we don't do much of it right now, uh, uh, many of the sort of social algorithms are designed to be as secretive as possible. There's there's a whole different potential in public social algorithms uh, that that could unlock a great deal of of economic potential. In, In what sense? In what sense exactly? Uh, Well, in in the sense that I'm talking about right here, where uh, existing markets are not inexpensive operations. Uh, The US government estimates that uh, more than $800 billion a year is consumed in just the operation of, of commodity exchange. Uh, and the United States, while it's a large economy, is not the majority of the global economy. And in many countries, their exchange systems are much more expensive and, and much less advanced than the ones that we, we possess. So globally, we're talking about trillions of dollars that are effectively being wasted out of the economy just to have the economy function. Uh, so these kinds of systems could reduce that cost and, and effectively apply that directly to economic growth, uh, in, for industries in countries and around the world, uh, as as producing things becomes radically more profitable, because selling things becomes a lot simpler.
0: So how do how do the options? So here's a the question then. So how do the options that you've got available determine the level of power that you've got in, a, in an argument or
1: in a um, in a debate or in a negotiation? Uh, well, that again gets into agendas. Um, So in a situation where multiple parties uh, each want things um, uh, and those things are intertwined, then optionality uh, can have a paradoxical effect. Um, So if if you can make five different deals and one of them is, is something that you'll take, but it's, it's really not great. I mean, it's, it's the worst thing that you'll take, um, but that's, that's the best outcome for the other party, then they want you to take that worst possible deal. Uh, but if they wanna make a deal, Uh, And don't only want to make that deal, the one that's the worst for you, then not having that option would make you better off because now you'd be making one of these other four deals that are better for you than this worst one. So uh, in negotiation, um, removing your own options can actually improve your own outcomes. Uh, And going back to what we were talking about before, where right now buyers and sellers are both motivated to take deals that are bad for themselves just to guarantee that they'll have a seat at the table. Um, By switching up where, where security comes from, we get to a situation where we take those bad deals off the table. And so right now, a disproportionate amount of the cost of operating the system is coming from these most desperate people. So a marginal farmer is going to to need to make sure that they're at at the table. Um, Somebody like uh, Jeremy Clarkson, who's become quite famous, and he very publicly points out that Whenever his farm gets into a jam, he just goes and hosts a television show and, you know, cashes a check and and makes it all go away. So he doesn't really need to to worry. I mean, he does, but he doesn't really need to worry about the hurly-burly of getting the very best deal possible for for his grain. Um, But a neighbor of his who doesn't have the option of simply being a multimillionaire... uh, and needs the farm's produce to sell, uh, will be willing to take prices that maybe aren't quite as good uh, as, as he could get. Um, and if he can move into a marketplace that takes that option off the table for him, he gets a lot more money. But it does
0: not not suggest that, you know, if we use the Jeremy Clarkson example, that he's got other options in terms of income streams, that he's less inclined to take a poor deal. So that could maybe suggest, and I'll give another example in a second, that the more options you have gives you more bargaining power, because as you said before, you aren't in a desperate, desperate situation. So and I'll use another example, a male has seven girlfriends, he, because he's got other options, he doesn't necessarily need to conform to the lady's ideas of what she would want from him behavior wise. So is it, does it depend on the, the, the question basically trying to come to is it, does it depend on the game as to whether more options or less options is going to be in your favor?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in zero, sum games uh, options are basically always good um, because it, it, you can always just choose not to take them if they're a bad deal for you. Um, but in these intertwining types of games uh, where where you have a concordance of, of interest, that's where having an option that's not as good for you can, can actually make things worse. Um, and uh, managing seven simultaneous girlfriends that's that's a complicated problem. Um, in one sense, uh, if if this person's goals are are sort of very simple, uh, if if they're simply looking for ongoing sexual access, yes, they are having lots of options. Um, but in another sense, in sort of uh, a family and love and building relationship sense, um, managing seven other. Human beings is is much much more complicated, and those extra options in that case would limit the amount of time um, uh, to develop these these sort of mutual understandings, trust, and relationship uh, that might be available if if you only had one wife instead of seven girlfriends, for example. Um, so. The the nature of the game and the nature of the agendas are incredibly important in these cases. Um, and and if you if you're in a non-zero sum relationship with somebody that's in a zero sum relationship, that can become very bad for you very quickly. Uh, if if one of those girls is trying to build a relationship with a guy who's whose goal in life is to just be a pimp, um, she's she's going to not get what she's looking for because it simply doesn't exist. Uh, and and that that's going to destroy m- multiple lives, uh, does, you know, hers this, and others.
0: Does this come back to what you said earlier in terms of different players having different objectives within the game? So in that example, the male, as you said, it might be uh, uh, sexual activity that he's after, in terms of his uh, his outcome, whereas for the female, it's as you said, family and relationship, and because of that disparity, that's what's causing the chaos in that example.
1: Uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, that that kind of situation um, uh, where agendas are wholly mismatched uh, lead to the class of of what can be termed psychotic games, where people doing what looks like a good idea to them leads to very bad outcomes. You had mentioned the prisoner's dilemma. That's sort of the er-psychotic game um, where the prisoners really should shut up. Um, it is in their general interest not to cooperate with the police, but it's in their individual interest to cooperate with the police. And so if if each of them independently does what looks like the best thing for them, they basically both go down for the crime because they, they spilled their guts and fessed up and have to go to jail for a long time now. Uh, and those sorts of situations are, are tragic in many cases. Uh, sometimes they're humorously or ironic where people are trapped in situations where what looks like the right thing for them to do is, in fact, the worst choice they can make, um, and it happens. You know, we're, we we uh, we aren't perfect, and and we get into a lot of very stupid and occasionally very evil situations.
0: Yeah, I mean that's where I first heard about game theory. Essentially, was um, I was actually watching Prison Break, the the the, the series, and. It was really off the off the back of that somehow that I found out about the prisoner's dilemma, and my sort of thought process for that is that it was designed in a way, in terms of the sentencing, to in, to enforce or ensure that people are basically ratting each other out because that's the the way that the game was designed. The other um, sort of normal or uh, basic game theory explanations. As well is that if you're bringing out a movie against a rival you should bring it out on the same day if you are a kfc and there's a mcdonald's nearby you should actually open it next to the mcdonald's when most people would think well it's competition let's put it away from from that but what the the maths essentially suggests is that if you were to put it next to mcdonald's that then becomes an area that's known for food which then increases your probability of actually bringing in uh uh clients so it's quite interesting that a lot of the time the 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 Nash equilibrium or the the optimal uh
1: situation is counterintuitive uh absolutely uh and that's that's a that gets into the sort of psychotic games it doesn't have to be an intentional action um you know some player that's trying to put together a group of girlfriends Uh, is in some sense placing them into psychotic games for his own, his own desires. But uh, the situations, the situation you're talking about where uh, creating nexuses and, and gathering points is, is actually individually beneficial is simply a function of the world effectively. Um, and so uh, we, can, we can be in situations where, where we're in psychotic or, or, you know, sort of beneficial games because people put us there or because it's just sort of how, how the world is built. Um, and, uh, and that's, those sorts of situations, are really where game theory shines um because that abstraction allows the detachment that lets you sort of look at that situation in a clearer light because if you're trapped in a psychotic game it really does make sense to do the thing that is harming you um, because of what you're trying to get but if you can think about this thing in sort of more abstract terms and realize that you've trapped yourself in a role that is that where you're going to be the instrument of your own destruction, um, then you can sort of see, oh, okay, I need to step back. I need to, I need to separate myself from this situation and not just this situation, but situations that are like this and, and move to, move to a situation where what I want actually benefits me.
0: So so obviously we've talked a lot about the, the different types of games, et cetera, um, within game theory and the prisoner's dilemma, as, as we talked about opening a KFC next to McDonald's and going against a competitor on the same day. What are, what are some of your favorite real-life applications for the listeners that they can maybe try and implement in their own life without having to be a specialist in game theory, let's say, um, that they could see results in um, fairly quickly? Uh,
1: well, that that restriction thing is a good one. Um, and this comes down to negotiation, which is something that happens in, in many contexts. And this is another one of those great option duality things um, where you will, in general, get better outcomes from negotiations uh, where you have a very high lower bar um, where you want to get everything or very nearly everything you want and and the other the other person's opinions don't matter so much to you um, and so for that context um, having having economic options when negotiating your salary or benefits at your job for example um, or even perhaps just acting like you have economic options when when doing those things uh, can can really change the path of your life um, and and so that's a that's a that's a basic lesson that's that's worth absorbing.
0: No, like you said, it makes sense. Um, and even going back to the dating situation, that's something that both males and females do, don't they? They pretend they have more options or that they are. Uh, someone who doesn't need the other person in order to gain control of that that game, whether it's a psychotic game, as you said, or, or or something else, but it definitely does help to to try and portray that the option of that particular person is less valuable than they actually are.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and and in particular, uh, dating models, uh, we're seeing we're seeing sort of societal satisfaction levels in decline over multiple decades at this point. Um, and even as we see the, the sort of relationship structures expand uh, and, and social sort of commentators generally respond to this by saying, you know, oh my God, why are people less happy? We need to have more options. Well, game theory tells us that we should actually probably expect uh, in these in in sort of these mutual relationship type situations um, fewer but 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 better options are going to be better for people than just kind of tossing them out into the into the deeps and just saying well sink or swim let's see what happens uh, and and so that's that's a very real challenge because we don't really have particularly good ideas about what those roles ought to look like in something that's as complicated as families and, and society. But does
0: it also come down to the fact that if you have less options, you value those options more and therefore you're more likely to put more effort into those options. Do you think that, that also plays a part
1: in it? Well, that's getting, that's getting away from game theory. Uh, But there is a, there is a cognitive cost to decision making, um, and so having fewer choices allows you to to think about the choices that you're making in a more valuable fashion. Um, so another another kind of insight that that comes out of game theory is when doing option restriction. Um, one of the most valuable things you can do is come up with good rules of thumb that will take large numbers of options off the table for you without taking a lot of time or effort. Um, simply having things that you will not do—it uh, uh, can—it can bite you. It might take the very best thing that you could possibly do off off the table and there's always gonna be that story of the person that's completely outside the box and finds the brilliant solution. But uh, day in, day out, as, as people have to make many, many decisions to, to sort of make, build their lives, um, analysis paralysis is a real thing. And if you are constantly trying to figure out what the very best thing that you could possibly be doing is, You'll never actually do anything. So, um, building, building in principles and and sort of building the best principles you can, and sticking to and living by those principles, um, is is a very good generic strategy for dealing with large, complex. Unknown counter agenda type game situations, uh, and and again, that's that's something that that shows up in the mathematics. Well, as
0: you said, there is it's definitely a balance, isn't there, between overthinking and acting too rashly, and there's that middle point that probably is that Nash equilibrium that is the right amount of thinking and and acting. And um, something I heard once that is quite interesting, really. It said. Uh, There was a king who had two options. He had, let's say, a left street and a right street. And this was obviously, as you said before, game theory existed, where he maybe could have calculated his options. And they had a a group of people giving information about what to do. Uh, You know, you could go this way, you could go that way. And he basically just made the decision and was saying, look, we're going to go down road A. And one of the kids said to him, he said, well, why did you decide road A and you didn't have all the information? He said, well, by the speed that we're getting the information to me, I will, I will <laughs> come to the correct decision faster by just picking an option, and then I'll realise halfway down the road, this, this was either the right road or the wrong road. Um, and I think as far as for, for a lot of people, because they maybe don't understand the game theory side of things or uh, the maths, et cetera, sometimes, you know, I've had fans in my own life, and as you said, reducing the options... Or just going for something and seeing what's going to work or not. Do you think that's a um, a valid uh, alternative, or do you feel that you know, given obviously your expertise, that it's better to try and work out an outcome
1: that's going to be most favourable first? Uh, well, that's that. Yeah, dealing with the unknown is is actually a place where traditional game theory sort of falls down um, because strategic situations in the face of the unknown is it's sort of like dividing by zero it's just it doesn't really mean anything anymore yeah um however computational mathematics uh which is is sort of my primary interest in you know game theory is a tool that i i've used in in building these these computational systems Um, does give us sort of vast access to the unknown because the the sort of fundamental theorem of computation is the existence of incomputability, things that, that can't be worked out or known in any way. Um, and a very large proportion, we don't actually know how large because that's one of the things you can't compute of the, The things that a computational system can do are are not really computable. Um, And systems become computational at an incredibly low level of complexity. So you are dealing with computational, you know, even if you're living in a yurt in the woods off the grid, the just genetics actually work exactly like a Turing machine. Um, So every living thing you encounter is a computational system. And so a thing that we have to cope with is not merely unknown, but almost unknowable things are a common currency of our world. Um, And so in that respect, Risks have to be taken. Uh, and and that's where, you know, this Nash equilibrium evolutionary game thing comes in. As an individual, you got, you got to go with your gut uh, and sort of what happens happens. And by having many, many individuals doing things, that's where we can, that's where we as a society can sort of figure out where the breakpoints are like, you know, that guy got too close to the cliff and he fell over. That's a bad idea. You know, this guy never went anywhere near it and he didn't get to see the view. That's a bad idea. These people, you know, got great holiday pictures and all of their children came home with them. Let's do what those people are doing. So uh, in that sense, building ways for small groups or individuals to operate at the edge of our our society gives us the best of both worlds. It lets us see what the explorations of the edge look like um, without having to take every single one of those risks personally Um, and And we're seeing a strong move towards centralization, ossification, governments are growing very large, companies are growing very large. Um, Let me try this. I've been thinking about this analogy for for the last week or so. Glass and sand are made out of exactly the same material, Um, but they respond to shock very differently if if you have uh, a piece of glass sort of a pile of glass uh, a lump of glass if you will and and hit it with a hammer um yes the 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 glass atoms that you know the silicon atoms that are up there all get a a sharp shock but there's also splintering and effectively the entire lump breaks into pieces but if you've got a pile of sand and you hit it with a hammer yeah it's bad once again for the the silicon atoms that you're hitting but basically when you come up you still just got a pile of sand there um the force dissipates the pile rearranges but it's still it's still sort of a lump in a pile and so societally building systems that give individuals that that choice um that that ability to to reach out to the edge creates much more stable societies uh, that just sort of keep looking like that lump of sand. Um, And, and that's, that's how we, that's how we play this trial and error game in a, in a good way is by letting the, letting the daredevils take their shot and See what happens um, without having all of us have to sort of buy into uh, uh, whatever whatever happens. Because if it's if if everybody's just on one board, then then once somebody finally makes a mistake, it all goes down together.
0: So, just a uh, sort of final two part question. And one is, what have we not covered about game theory that you feel is worth knowing for the guests? And secondly. Who's your target market for for your computational mathematical product slash service?
1: Uh, Well, game theory is so vast and deep um, that it's the kind of thing that it's worth the skim. And I think we took a very, sort of very good dip off the top. Uh, But it's worth the dive as well. Um, So I would say that that would be the lesson to take home, not that there's this one other thing that we didn't quite talk about, but that um, there's there's sort of this vast ocean of other dips to take out um, that that can be very valuable. And so, go explore. Um, uh, there's there's some excellent books on the subject, and there's actually a lot of uh, a lot of well-made content out there that that will let you know many many different things in game theory. Uh, in terms of the markets that I'm targeting, uh, I'm looking for market operators, brokers, uh, industry associations uh, that that have an interest in the buying or selling of, of inputs or outputs uh, that, that are aware of the the collapse and problems of the existing system and need an alternative in order to keep themselves going, uh, and or want to want to actually be one of those people that's that's you know pushing out the boundaries and taking that risk, uh, and for them I've got a brand new technology uh, to to incorporate and. Build build their own pile of sand, basically.
0: Excellent. So, final question that's actually not related to, to the game theory side. What's one part of your life that you wish you could improve on?
1: Um, Something guest health. For the uh, really? Like I've I was I was a sickly kid. Um, I do a little better now that you know everybody's in permanent lockdown and I don't really see people all that often, uh, but. My primary memory of second grade is is having strep throat. I think I got it three or four times. I don't even like. I, I barely remember second grade because of that. Uh, so yeah, I, I I wish I was I was more robust in that fashion. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's it. Why do you think that is? Do you
0: think it's a a, a genetic thing? Do you think it's a, a, a an exercise thing? Do you think it's a diet thing do you think it's a uh how do you think do you think
1: it's any of those things or is it just look or the draw would you say uh i'd say it's probably a combination of those um uh in some sense we're we're all sickly children uh yeah uh because because you know we have public hygiene now and it used to be the case that roughly half of people died in childhood of something Um, and we haven't been doing that in the West here for four or five generations. So, you know, you and your parents and their parents, and in many cases, their parents and their parents, um, in all likelihood would have died in childhood, except sewers and, and, you know, stuff like that have been built and, and we don't, we don't have those problems. Um, but, uh, but the the kind of lonerism that that I've adopted as a result of getting sick when I'm around people probably doesn't help with with maintaining a robust system and so yeah it's it's one of those things where it it might have been a small deviation leading to a path or it might be a large deviation that I'm just reacting to uh, but uh, that. That's the aspect of my life that I wish was different. Excellent.
0: Well, thanks very much for sharing, Noah. Um, if you could just let the guests know where they can reach you if
1: if they wanted to reach out to you. Absolutely. Um, so I have an email address, noahphealy at yahoo.com uh, that I respond to quite reasonably. And the spam filter is not that aggressive. Uh, and also you can reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm just old Noah Healy there and if you want to learn more about my computational system and there's actually some links for videos about game theory and and my system as well there uh corddisc.com c-o-r-d-s-d-i-s-c uh is my website excellent well we'll leave
0: that in the in the notes comment anyway just in case people can't transcribe that down so um so yeah have you got any sort of final messages for for anyone there out there Uh, no, I think, I think we basically covered everything. Excellent, Noah. So, well, thanks very much for being a guest and, and, and yeah, hopefully everyone out there had a fantastic experience and have learned something new about game theory and how
1: interesting it can be. Absolutely. Thanks very much again, Noah. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.